Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning and welcome. We are now on ready to go. How are you guys doing? We are having a nice rainy morning again. Rain last night pretty hard. We have a hurricane off west of us, and I was just checking the weather. It looks like it's just going to steer right clear of us. It's kind of going north and west. Hopefully, that means it's going to miss the Baja, too. So far, it looks like it is. That would be nice. Don't need more flooding, more problems for sure. But the rain's nice. The weather's beautiful. This morning's just been great. So, we're going to move into Isaiah 1 and 2 today, 2 Corinthians 11. So, we need to pray and get into the Word, but first, a word for our sponsor, Bad Dad Jokes. <laughs> they could sponsor us, they want to. No, we'll just do one. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, I opened my fridge and noticed one of my vegetables were crying. <laughs> I guess I have some emotional cabbage. <laughs> Not baggage. He's got cabbage. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on into Isaiah. Ask God to bless the day today. Thank you, Father, for our time. We can come and spend together, and we are constantly amazed at the work of your grace and the way you can pull so many things together for us right at the right time. So we pray for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah chapter 1. I guess I should say before we get into Isaiah, a little bit about him. He is a prophet that is prophesying in Judah. Uh, this is after the, the captivity of Israel up in the north by Assyria. And the whole time he's prophesying, he's dealing with Assyria trying to come in and beat up Judah and take them captive too. He is the prophet that Hezekiah goes to and and says, hey, they're at the gate. They're, 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 they send a letter. They're going to come in and, well, they we're already starving them out. But they said, they're gonna, we're all going to be destroyed. And Isaiah was the one that says, well, hear the word of the Lord. By tomorrow morning, they're going to be defeated. And that was when the angel of the Lord came in and wiped them all out in one night. So Isaiah's ministering to these, Hezekiah, Amaziah, I forget all the, kings that he was during his time, but we need to listen because he's, he's like the most eloquent and he's known as the messianic prophet because he, he sees the lens of, of history, uh, of prophetic history, everything happening in his day and in the future is all being connected to the Messiah. So it's a beautiful book, long book, but it's a beautiful book. It's even broken up in 66 chapters, like the books of the Bible. The people have said Isaiah is like a mini Bible, the way it's even structured. Very, shall I say, divinely put together and written. So now we're ready to start. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem, which he saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks, sons 
I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. An ox knows its owner, and a donkey its master's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity. Offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly, they have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from him. Where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is nothing sound in it. Only bruises, welts, and raw wounds, not pressed out or bandaged, nor softened with oil. Your land is desolate, your cities are burned with fire, your fields, strangers are devouring them in your presence. It is desolation, as overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in the vineyard, like a watchman's hut in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a few survivors, we would be like Sodom, we would be like Gomorrah. God has had enough. Hear the words of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, and goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assembly. I cannot endure iniquity and the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though... You multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Listen to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Let us reason. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool if you consent and obey. You will eat the best of the land, but if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Truly, the mouth of the Lord is spoken, Zion corrupted to be redeemed. How the faithful city has been a harlot, she who was full of justice, righteousness, once lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. You drink diluted with water. Your rulers are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and chases after rewards. They do not defend the orphan, nor does the widow's plead come before them. Therefore, the Lord, God of hosts, the mighty one of Israel declares, Ah, I will be relieved of my adversaries and avenge myself on my foes. I will also turn my hand against you. I will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your aloe. Then I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. After that, you will be called the city of righteousness, 
the faithful city. Zion will be redeemed with justice and her repentant ones with righteousness, but transgressors and sinners will be crushed together, and those who forsake the Lord will, will come to an end. Surely you will be ashamed of the oaks which you have desired, and you will be embarrassed at the gardens which you have chosen. For you will be like an oak whose leaf fades away, or as a garden that has no water. A strong man will become tender, his work also a spark. And thus they shall both burn together, and there will be none to quench them. Chapter 2. The word which Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it will come about in the last days. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it and many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many people. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. Come, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. For you have abandoned your people, O house of Jacob, because they are filled with influences of the east, and they are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they strike bargains with the children of foreigners. Their land has also been filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land has also been filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land has also been filled with idols, they worship the work of their hands, that which their fingers have made. So the common man has been humbled, and the man of importance has been abased. But do not forgive them. Enter the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. The proud look of men will be abased, and the loftiness of man will be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted on that day. Verse 12, for the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty and against everyone who is lifted up, that he may be abased. And it will be against all the cedars of Lebanon that are lofty and lifted up, against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains, against all the hills that are lifted up, against every high tower, against every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish and against all the beautiful craft. The pride of man will be humbled, and the loftiness of men will be abased. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. But the idols will completely vanish. Men will go into caves and rocks and into holes of the ground before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he arises to make the earth tremble. In that day, men will cast away the moles and the bats, their idols and their silver, their, their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship, in order to go into the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he arises to make the earth tremble. Stop regarding man 
breath of life is in his nostrils, for why should he be esteemed? Mm. Like I said, the prophet of the Messiah, seen Israel, light of the Messiah. So begins with the condemnation. God is looking at Judah and saying, you're living like your brothers up in the north. You're all idolaters. All of you have turned away. None of you are obeying. And so you're, you're going to be judged. And so this is the pronouncement at the beginning, beginning of the book. We know they're going to be judged. We're going to go into captivity. And there's a description of their captivity that they're going to go in to be refined, that the dross might be, might be taken off. Uh, for 70 years, and when they come back, they can be purified, and now their hearts will be redirected towards Yahweh. And in that, we have this very New Testament idea, your sins are scarlet, they'll be made white as snow. We see that God is still compassionate in all this. He wants to bring them into full fellowship with him, but they are going to have to come to a, a real point of repentance because he said, basically, you guys are, are feigning your walk with me. You bring the sacrifices, but they're nothing to me. It's interesting because it can be confusing because it goes, do I, you know, do I delight in the fat of rams? No. And so why do they have sacrifices then? Why did he set it up? Because what he wants really offered is the, the fat of your heart, if you should say. The, he wants the offering up of the sin and repentance and placing the hand on the animal. It was the sinner's realization of how sinful he was, and that some animal, someone innocent, something innocent had to die in his place. And so it was a pouring out of his heart to God and, a, and a, an asking of forgiveness and a brokenness. That's what God wanted. But they were just going, oh, got to give it down, no sacrifice here, pay the money, here's the animal, go sacrifice it, okay. Oh, Lord, thank you very much, and then leave. There was no, there was no real worship there. So God says, I, I reject all your worship. Forget it. I don't need all that stuff. When he needs, and we know this, but he wants a broken and contrite heart, a humble heart. So this is what he's after, and it's interesting. We get this at the very beginning of the book, so we have an understanding of, of the pattern that's going to go out throughout this book. God is not going to put up with religiosity. God wants his people to be, to be humbled and to be real, and therefore, therefore they're going to be judged. But... They are going to come back from captivity. They are going to be reestablished. And because of that, we see this amazing hope that's going to extend all the way past Jesus. And we'll see a lot of references to Jesus. This book is the most quoted in the New Testament, the book of Isaiah. It's quoted more than any other Old Testament book. But when we, we get past that into the millennium, where they're going to beat their swords into plowshares, there's going to be a time where Israel is going to be blessed. And uh, what a great thing to be writing to guys like Hezekiah and, and, uh, and well, they were all listed in the, Uzziah in the beginning, uh, who were dealing with these wars with Assyria, a mighty nation who had already wiped out ten, the 10 tribes, and there are only two tribes. All they knew was war. And he says, it's going to be a place where there's going to be no more war. Wow. Lion will lay down in the lamb. Everyone will turn their, their swords into plowshares. And uh, nations are going to come up and say, let us go seek the Lord. Help us find the Lord. And this is where we get this idea of these 
mortal beings that are going to multiply on the earth and be billions of people. And Jesus will reign in Jerusalem and they will make pilgrimages and will want to go essentially come before the Lamb of God and come into relationship with him and, and say, we, we've, we've heard what he did. We heard how he gave himself for the world. We now know he rules over the world and we, we seek to go see him and they'll come to the Jew, whatever, and ask him, the Messianic saved Jew, and say, come bring us to the master. It'll be a phenomenal thing. And we're going to see a lot of this through this book. So pay attention. It's a great book. Second Corinthians 11, 16 through 33. Again, I say, let no one think me foolish, but if you do, receive me even as foolish, so that I also may boast a little. What am I saying? I am not saying as the Lord would, but as in foolishness, in this confidence of boasting. Since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. For you being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. For you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, anyone devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you in the face. To my shame, I must say, that we have been weak in comparison, but in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I am just as bold myself. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, in dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles. Dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the ethnarch under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascians, in order to seize me. And I was let down in the basket, through a window in the wall, and so escaped his hands. Wow. I always am, shall I say, re-shocked, <laughs> re-astounded, or something when I read this. Everything that Paul went through, I, I don't even know how you could survive that. You know, the 39 lashes things, that cut your skin open. People did die from that. It was so painful, and, and it would cause so much bleeding. And they say if, 
if it hit an artery, you know, you're done. So the guys that doing it were very skillful. They made sure they tried not to hit any arteries. So you just bleed out slowly. But of course he would, would have gotten a medical attention. And of course, being in, in the sea exposure, um, cold, no food. Of course that we know that the, they didn't even mention the snake biting him. <laughs> of course, yeah, I mean, uh, the venomous snake. And God just was making this man an example of someone who is unstoppable and who was dedicated no matter what. Now, I would venture to guess that even all this that was going on in Paul, on his body, he would have remembered when he was stoned in Lystra and left for dead is probably when he went up into heaven and saw what heaven was like. And there realizing that how temporal his body was, would go back and go, hmm, all right, beat me again. Uh, and, and all this is important because he says, all this he's using to say what I'm telling you is the gospel truth, as we like to say, and his literally was the gospel truth. He was given this from God, and these other Jews had, were making themselves out to be eloquent speakers, and they were arguing with Paul and saying, don't believe Paul, don't listen to him. And as I mentioned yesterday, and as I think is always important, that we have to pay attention to that, to not let people in the church today say, I don't like Paul. We don't read Paul. I've literally had people come into our church and tell me that. Oh, I, yeah, I'm a Christian. And I read the Bible, but I don't, I don't read Paul. I think he was a hypocrite and, and a misogynist and blah, blah, blah. I just, I just read Jesus, you know, and that kind of stuff. Like, whoa, no, no, no. No, God used Paul to write the New Testament because in it he gave him the words. Remember, he was the one we get, really, we get... The, the communion service from, from Paul, from direct revelation. So you would have to kind of, you have to deal with that, in other words. So anyway, this is important. And when we have so many false religions around trying to redefine what Christianity is, you go back to the source. And the source through the Holy Spirit on a lot of doctrine, not all, but a lot of doctrine is Paul, including the gifts of the Spirit. And so... This is why it's so beneficial to really, really pay attention to what Paul writes, because it's from the Lord. Charles Spurgeon now, it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, you're not my people, there it shall be said unto them, you are the sons of the living God, Hosea 1.10. Sovereign grace can make strangers into sons, and the Lord here declares his purpose to thus deal with rebels, to make them know what he has done. Beloved reader, the Lord has done this in my case. Has he done the like for you? Then let us join hands and hearts in praising his adorable name. Some of us were so decidedly ungodly that the Lord's word most truly said to our conscience and heart, you are not my people in the house of God and in our homes. When we read the Bible, this was the voice of God's Spirit in our soul. You are not my people. Truly a sad, condemning voice it was. But now, in the same places, from the same ministry and scripture, we hear a voice which saith, Ye are the sons of the living God. 
Can we be grateful enough for this? Is it not wonderful? Does it not give us hope for others? Who is beyond the reach of the almighty grace? How can we despair of any since the Lord has wrought so marvelous a change in us? He who has kept his one great promise will keep every other. Therefore, let us go forward with songs of adoration and confidence. Well, I like the fact that Charles Spurgeon believes that no one is outside the reach of God, that all men can come to the hope and the living water of Jesus Christ if they would yet seek him. That's a beautiful, beautiful promise. And man, how does this apply to what we see in the Old Testament and, and Isaiah and uh, Judah? Man, they were their hard-heartedness, and, and they were outside the uh, really family of God when they thought they were inside the family of God. That he says, no, I'm not going to pay attention to your sacrifices and your worship and your religious stuff and your festivals because your heart's far from me. And we, many of us have been there, a false religious upbringing, our false religion, uh, just going through the motions because of whatever. We married somebody that was a Christian, drug us to church, or our parents drug us to church. We just figure we need to do it to pay our respects. You know, we have those people that come two to three times a year. And it's it's quite amazing because they'll come and bring friends and they'll, and they'll say, Hi, Pastor Bill, I brought my friends and we're here. It's Christmas. It's so good to see you. I've been telling them this is my church. And I'm going, really? Great. I've only seen you twice this year. <laughs> they still do it. Oh, uh, this, is, this is a call to those people. This is a call that for us to be real and transparent. God knows our hearts, so we definitely... We don't want to play those kind of games with him. And then when we when we do yield, man, wow, look at the, the benefit of it and the overwhelming grace that is poured out upon us. Well, let's pray and thank him for this time. Father, we do thank you for the beauty of this morning and ask that you would um, go before us in grace in this day, building us up, helping us to be bold witnesses for you. We thank you for what is going to happen tonight with the evangelism team. And going out, thank you for using them and what they did last week, God, and the, the context they had. Continue to use them, God. And will you thank you for the, the healing that you brought to many people recently. And we pray Kathy is really doing very well. And Pastor Joe, who's uh, encouraged about his prospects and the treatment, thank you for that. And uh, continue to uh, also build up Juan Carlos, who's, who's continuing to heal and, and bless him with his job. And uh, everyone else, like Kim and Dean, that need a new place to live in and a job and a lot of things, God, praying for a real miracle there. And for many, many people that have just um, fellowshiped with us, have gone on, uh, may you just continue to bless them as they look for direction in their life. Thank you for bringing this storm by us, God. It seems like it's not going to hit. We recognize that that is your hand of protection upon us. So thank you for this day, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Still going to try and keep it a little bit short, guys, under 30 minutes so we can edit this. And we are very close now to getting Manna for Breakfast on an FM radio station, starting off just a couple days a week. But we pray that will grow and maybe go into others. We want you guys to be praying for this as a ministry outreach, please, and that God could use it. If you know an FM radio station or something, that might be interested in airing it daily, 
uh, let us know because we want people to be in the word. So talk to your pastor, talk to your church about that. So God bless you. We will see you tomorrow, same time. Bye-bye.